0: Blog Talk Radio. Hi there! Welcome to Teach Me to Talk the podcast. I'm my pediatric speech-language and I am so happy to do today's show. It's probably going to be a shorter show, so if you're counting on this for an hour of exercise. Oh, it's probably going to be more like 30 minutes or so. But lots of you listen as you drive from client to client. So if you have about a 30-minute window, you're going to get to hear it all in one stretch today. So here we go. Um, Today we're going to be talking about how to understand and use the chart from my book, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers. Here's what happens. At least weekly... I get an email from a therapist, and this is one that I just pulled because it happens so often, and this is what she says. And sometimes the mom will say this, but a lot of the times it's a speech pathologist, and when I read it, you'll understand why. <laughs> it says, Dear Laura, I've purchased your Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers book, and I'm using it with a few of my kiddos. I've skimmed the entire book, and I am having success with some of my harder clients that weren't making any progress before, but I don't understand when to progress a child to the next level. How long do I work on skills in one level before moving on? Can you point me to your specific criteria for each level in your book? And then she ends with, I also think it would be helpful to list that information on your chart. (laughs) Okay, let's kind of back it up and talk about what the book Building Verbal Limitation in Toddlers is and that whole kind of treatment approach. And then let me just tease out a few little things here that I want to be sure that you know so that if you have that book, you're able to use it in the way that it's intended. And first of all, let me just say, this whole therapy approach, looking at where a child is with expressive communication development this is something that is not completely original to me this is taking all the bits and pieces of all the theory that we know that you learned in grad school that you've learned as you've worked with how many ever kids you've worked with as you've read different authors as you've been to different ce courses i wrote building verbal Imitation skills in toddlers Because I didn't feel like there was ever one source, one resource that I could put my finger on to walk me through how to get a kid from no words to words in a way that really made sense to me. And there was no tool, in my opinion, that kind of covered all the different scenarios that we have when we first begin to work with a child who's nonverbal sometimes we get kids who are saying a few little words but their parents don't feel like they're moving on or let's say they're two they've had that second birthday but they only have four or five words and the pediatrician hopefully, thankfully has referred them for a speech language assessment and so we'll get kids that are talking they're saying a few little things but again not to an a developmentally appropriate level they have their all their little friends are out talking them. Mom is very aware that her child is not talking as much as he or she should be. Sometimes we get a kid that age two, two-and-a-half who say nothing, I mean, no words at all. Sometimes we get kids, again, that are earlier than two, younger than two, but they're still not not waving bye-bye. They haven't learned to do that. You don't even really hear any kind of sounds from them. We may also get children who aren't very aware of other people in their environment. So when we ask mom things like, does he know body parts? And she says no, or is he uh playing with toys and she says well he's not very interested in toys he really likes to play on my ipad he really likes to watch dvds he really um has you know a a little light toy that he likes but that's about it so we get children at all different developmental levels and again, as a new therapist or even as uh, someone who's more seasoned, as I like to say, and I've kind of put myself in that category since I've got a few miles under my belt now. But we, we need something or I felt like we needed something to be able to lay it all out there, especially if you're kind of a visual person or if you just needed to be a little more structured or more purposeful or more, um effective, and how you're being sure that you're delivering services to our little guys that we're ready to work on expressive language, or even when we're not, you know, when that's that's really the parent's main concern, they're not talking. I felt like that was a real area that that I wanted to develop, that I wanted to, um, again, come up with the, the first few months I used it, it, it was just for me. It was just to help guide my decision making. When I was writing goals, when I was determining activities for for therapy, when I was explaining to a mom or dad why a child had been in therapy for several weeks or a few months and we weren't feeling like we were making progress, I felt like there's got to be something, there's got to be some visual way that I can teach parents what I know about working with toddlers with expressive language expressive speech, whatever you want to call it, expressive communication delays. So that's how the chart from Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers came to be. And if you've been to my continuing education course uh, by the same name, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, or if you've taken the version that's on DVD, which we call steps to Building (laughs) Verbal Imitation in Toddlers so that you could, if you have been to the live version, you could still do it on uh, DVD. If because there have been some additions since I started to teach that, but that the chart that you receive, or or the manual, if you've bought that book from uh, my website at TeachMeToTalk dot com, it the chart comes with that. It's part of the book, and so that's what this therapist is referring to when she says, "I'm looking at the chart, and I don't see any." criteria for moving on so let me just again if you're not familiar with that system that's the chart she's talking about it comes with the book or with the course and again this developed as a just my personal therapy tool when I was working and you know this is probably 10 years ago maybe longer now and I'm thinking you know as I'm working with children I started to just sort of take notes and think okay this is We are when we're with words, and then we know from words we move to phrases. But what happens before words? And so, you know, then I filled in, well, signs. I'm going to go with signs. And then I started thinking about the things that happen before you teach a child signs. And then I thought, well, gosh, there are some kids who learn signs that can't go straight to words. What about those kids? Where did they fit? And so I pulled from my experience and from lots and lots and lots of other speech language pathologists and we so benefit from the work of other people and pull together that work and pull together various theories a little bit of oral motor in there for our kids who need that piece who really don't understand that they have voluntary control over their little mouth you pull those pieces in again that's not necessary for every late talker but it certainly is for a portion of the children that we serve. So that that's how this whole kind of approach came to be. It's just organizing that hierarchy or that way to think about how we target expressive goals in toddlers who aren't yet talking. And again, there's a whole lot of information that we're not gonna talk about on this show today. If you need background about that, if this sounds intriguing to you, Please check that book out. Again, you can get that at com. I linked the uh, information about the book on this post if you are listening from Blog Talk Radio or from uh, a device that you can pull up how, you know, the, the show description, you can pull that up. And, yep, now that I'm looking at it, I see some typos. Sorry about that. You can tell it's Friday afternoon. Uh, And we're getting ready to go on a little trip. So I'm kind of anxious to, um, you know, just kind of rush and type that together and get on because this is my last thing on my to-do list today. So sorry about those typos there. I'll try to fix that too. Uh, But anyway, you can get the information about the book there. And I mentioned the course previously. And uh, I'm telling you that so that if, again, you're interested in that and you want to check that out for yourself, please, please, please do. But back to our question today, this is someone who's already bought the book, and she's saying, I don't quite know when I'm supposed to move on. I don't know, you know, am I supposed, some, sometimes I'll get an email from somebody that'll say, are you looking for an 80% level of accuracy before you move on? You know, what? What? how do you know? Let me just say, I would never put a criteria like that, like you would uh, see in some other Approaches, you know, our friends who do ABA and who exercise a pretty structured, um, detailed ABA kind of therapy approach might have a level of accuracy before they would move on to the next level. Certainly, we all wrote goals like that when we were in grad school, <laughs> but that's not really what this approach or book or guideline or whatever you want to call it that's not really what it was about and again let me just say it's not a cookbook either if you are looking for something to guide your decision making something to give you some additional ideas something to maybe help you consider things that you don't normally consider or or maybe you know you always jump straight to words with kids and then when kids don't catch on right away, you're kind of at a loss for what do I do next. Or maybe you have kids who, again, are pretty good at signing or doing some of those early things and you're not quite sure what to do after that. That's why I created this system and this chart particularly for me so that I would know. And I started telling this story a minute ago and I didn't finish it. I got kind of sidetracked to my own thoughts, but let me just back up and say when I first started looking at this, this, that chart, that whole book (laughs) started as a sheet of notebook paper where I wrote myself some notes with, again, ideas with, you know, here, here, Or when words come in, what would come in right before we would hear a lot of words? Well, that would be some vocal play. What does that really look like? How does that sound? And if you've read the book or if you've attended one of my courses, we certainly talk about babbling in there. And that certainly is the earliest form of vocal play that we hear, you know, beyond just uh, isolated coos and gurgles and all those other fun non-speech sounds that A baby, an infant would make. But I started looking at, okay, how can we realistically teach how to work on babbling beyond getting the kid's face and say, ba, 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 ma, 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 da, 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 da. A lot of parents feel uncomfortable with that. Let me just be frank and say, I don't really like to work on babbling either. (laughs) I like to do it in other kinds of more meaningful ways so I put the chart together to give me ideas and to help me remember kind of in the in the moment in therapy when a kid's not able to move on when they when it feels like we're stuck to give me some additional help some hints with where I should go next and I tell this story in the if in the live course probably in the DVD version too but I really remember when this charts started to take off for me because I, again I had it on a raggedy sheet of notebook paper and then you know I would make a new copy when it just got all torn up and gross in my bag or in my book whatever I was using and then I would look at it sometimes in IFSP meetings and I remember one time very distinctly in a meeting with uh, a set of kids that uh, some twin well they were triplets we were just working with two of the triplets and so that is a big therapy team, and we're all sitting there, and I had been referring to my little sheet of paper. And uh, this is a therapist that I had co-treated with a week or two before, and I guess she had seen me refer to the sheet of paper during this session and she and this was again when I was really working on this from a you know a practical standpoint and kind of from a theoretical standpoint too when I would think during a session oh yeah that's something I should write down that's that's something I remember that's a good idea for me to include here on this little chart and so we're in this meeting and she says to me Laura uh, what you got on that piece of paper over there can I see that and I was a little bit embarrassed because I said well these are just my notes this is just how I've kind of organized, how I think about expressive language. And this is how I'm making sure that I'm on track with not getting too far ahead of myself and giving myself some ideas. And it's, you know, I've shown it to a couple of people, but it's not real formal. And she said, I want to see what's on that piece of paper that you keep looking at. So she looked at it and she said, you know, this is good. And again, she's an OT. (laughs) And so it made a lot of sense to her that I had broken these very specific milestones down and at that point i don't think i was calling them levels i think i just had them kind of vertically written there like little categories on the page but i thought well you know she's she's good she's very skilled in her discipline and she thinks it's a good tool man maybe it is so i typed it up a little more formally made it look a little prettier so then I started showing it more often to families. And I'll just tell you, I got a fantastic response. Parents understood when they were saying, why isn't she using any words yet? You know, what are we doing about that? I'm still really frustrated. And I would show them on my piece of paper, you know, they're not really using any pop-out words either. And pop-out words are kind of a, are words that we set up in very specific circumstances. That's what I refer to as a verbal routine. And that really comes before we hear a lot of single words imitated. And You know, she's not there yet. And But, you know, let's kind of talk about vocal play. And those are the things that we would hear like with exclamatory words or with animal sounds or You know, just with those little fun words that we all say, like, "Uh uh-oh, and yay, and whee, as you're swinging. And, you know, she's not really doing any of that. And then I could kind of walk them back and say, you know, beyond that, usually before infants start to become really, really noisy and string lots and lots of uh, syllables, lots of sounds, speech sounds together, they kind of go through this non-speech phase where we hear squealing and we hear... Um, fake coughing, fake sneezing, all kinds of little things, raspberries, we hear those little sound effect kinds of things, you know, if it's a little boy, and you know, he's nine or 10 months, and you start playing cards with him, he kind of uses his raspberry sound like a car, and then he kind of, you know, growls a little bit with a and that kind of becomes his car noise, I said, you know, and that really comes before we would even hear the exclamatory words, and then for some kids, again, particularly those children with muscle tone issues, those kinds of kids usually have to do a lot of playing, just understanding that they can do some different things with their mouths. You know, you really do see maybe a, a child who, who had no real awareness of his mouth before start to put his whole hand in his mouth or start to really mouth a lot of toys or Um, just any kind of little, again, mouth movement there. And for some kids, that all goes together when they start to use those non-speech sounds and especially those little exclamatory words and that vocal play. But for some children, particularly those who have had significant feeding issues or muscle tone issues, that in-between step, that oral motor work step, that, (laughs) you know, it's kind of controversial, sometimes for some speech pathologists, but there's a subset of kids who that without that kind of focus they they don't really make progress verbally they don't really move on and then we kind of back it up even from there with our kids who have to learn how to use motor skills as a way to communicate that's the very first kind of real symbolic communicative um, gesture they would use like waving bye-bye like Clapping, any kind of um, skill that they would use to let you know, hey, I'm copying you, and that they eventually shape to give you a message, like pointing, you know when children first begin to point, it's usually that that first little motor movements usually as they're touching a button on a toy or doing something that again requires them to use that you know pretty good control there and use one finger to activate whatever they're doing. Uh, I was on a plane in the fall. And I was sitting there, Johnny and I were, you know, of course, sitting there kind of talking. And we both at the same time looked over and saw a little girl that could not have, she could not have been a year old. I mean, there is no way that she was a year old, but she was intently looking at her mom's phone and lo and behold, she stuck that little finger out and swiped it over. And, you know, for us, you know, her parents probably just thought, oh yeah, she's learned how to do that. And, you know, I'm sitting there with my mouth on the floor going, look at that, look at her. Oh my gosh. And again, you know, she's a genius. And Johnny, because he's hung around me for 30 years now. And, and knows about everything I know because he's heard it over and over and over, you know, bless his heart. He sits through, you know, 20 plus conferences a year and reads books and, you know, pre-free stuff and listens to this and listens to that and videos this and videos that. And so he knows a lot and he kind of got into it too. He was both like, Oh my gosh, I wonder how old she is. Now, sometimes, I'll just strike up a conversation with a parent and find out. But that day we were both tired. We were coming back from a a long week. Um, And so we didn't do that, but we just kind of marveled to ourselves about how young that little girl was and how she had really learned how to use that, her little index finger to operate her mom's phone. But again, that usually starts as a motor movement or as a motor, you know, some, some way to activate a toy or a machine before it does become that full-on communicative, before a kid is holding her little finger up, pointing at a very specific box of cereal in the pantry. You know, she's usually done it, used that movement before in another way. So again, these are kids that, um, if they're not doing those kinds of things yet, they're really not developmentally ready to talk. And then we can kind of take it a step back down with for kids who aren't doing that yet, what are the kinds of things that would come right before that? And it's interacting with another person. And again, motor imitation there, copying the other person does notorically. So I put that chart, that that whole thing that I've just described for you, that I, have, I started with words and I, I could have started with phrases, which is a step above that. If you're a mom listening, you know, a phrase is just two words together or, you know, more than one word at a time. But I walked it all the way back down to the very beginnings of communication development. And that's what that chart is. And so if you have if you have that book, if you've taken that course, you know about that. It's a really simplified one-page sheet. But it was never intended to be anything more than a guide. So that you as a speech-language pathologist could take the chart and look at it and think, okay, if you're going to use it diagnostically, and by diagnostically I mean when you're trying to figure out what's going wrong with the kid, (laughs) what is going on with the kid, where is he, why, you know, in this continuum of of communication development, you've already done the assessment, you already know that he's not, he's two and a half, but he's not talking as well as he should be, which is why you're seeing him, and you're trying to figure out, well, two and a half year olds should be using phrases, well, we're not there. And then you kind of set it back down to words with, Gosh, he doesn't really have very many words. Those wor- the couple words that he does have seem to be really contextually dependent. So that would bump it back down to a verbal routine. And then you might say, well, he has a couple little animal sounds, hmm, but they don't—they're not very consistent. I really can't get more beyond that. Let me keep looking and looking. And you say, gosh, signs. I've taught him seven signs in two sessions, and his mom is so excited. You know, so diagnostically, you would say this is a kid who can be super successful down back here at level two, back here at the, the gestural communicative level. That's where that kid is most successful. So for right now, the past two sessions have shown me this is where his competency lies. This is where he is most comfortable learning this is his just right level and so that's how you use that chart again diagnostically to kind of say this is where we're going to start because we can't start with the goal remember what the goal was what's the goal for his parents that would be that he would talk non-stop all day every day and tell them everything he ever thinks or wants right (laughs) so that would be up at the phrase level and again that would be developmentally appropriate for a two and a half year old but is that where that kid can be successful functionally No. And how do you know that? Because guys, if he could do it, he would do it. Uh, I hope you've listened to last week's podcast. It was fantastic. It's one of my, when I finished it, I just got off and I just felt like, oh my gosh, that was such a great show. And I've gotten some feedback from some moms who've listened to it and said, you know, that really helped me to hear that mom talk about her little guy. And we talked about, this approach and we talked a lot about the chart on the show last week, which probably prompted some of these emails this week, even though they didn't really say that. Um, but, uh, Oh gosh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, we'll just pick up where I was, but it was, it was the show last week was so good with um, mentioning how beneficial the chart had been and how much it had helped her, Know how to pull it back and work at a level where a kid could be successful, okay that's what we were talking about that just right developmental level you the goal is always going to be usually several steps ahead of where a child really can be successful in therapy, and a lot of times we as as speech language pathologists and other you know developmental interventionists special instructors, whatever you call yourself in your state. If you start at the goal, more than likely you are not going to see immediate progress because it's too hard. Oh, and this is what I was going to say that that mom said. Remember last week, it was show number 258. So if you've not listened to it, go back and listen to it. She said, one of the things that I love that you say is, and something that's given me comfort is when you say, if he could talk he would talk and that's what i mean about this so so sometimes we'll get a kid in therapy and again the goal is to talk so we start at words but that kid we we don't hear anything there that could be counted a word because they're just not there yet so you have to really find out where can this kid be most successful where can we start so that i can demonstrate some progress and some new skills and some new, what new ideas can I give these parents? What new strategies? So the chart is a great tool for being able to determine that, so diagnostically. Here's another way that I use that chart. It's, it's for me, therapeutically, if I have gone ahead and violated all those things that we've been talking about, figuring out that developmental level, that just right place, If I if I've screwed it up, And I've been working with the kid for weeks and we're still not making any progress. A lot of times you can just take out the chart and then probe and decide, okay, this is, this is, he can do some of these things for me. You know, I'm looking here at this chart and and let's look at that. Let me just see. Can't level one. Can he imitate? Sorry about that. Sorry about that. And uh, I don't know how that happened. We got disconnected. But anyway, if you, you, let's just say again that you've kind of, you're stuck with a kid that you think, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. He's not making any progress. You can take that chart. You can look at level one, which is imitating actions with objects. And you can have your toy out. And you can say to a kid, look, do this. And if he can copy you and you present model three or four different little things with the toy and again you're not I don't recommend that you do it the whole (laughs) do this do this do this don't do that really make it functional during play let's say if you had cars and you were playing together you were making your car drive on the floor and then you might make your car drive up the uh, wall or down your leg you know that would be a higher level level one activity where he's copying unexpected actions and if a kid can do that no problem then you you move on to level two and let's say that he really doesn't use a lot of gestures his mom reports that he's not waving bye-bye or clapping with her trying to dance an imitation of her or any other of the little uh behaviors you'll find listed for level two but you're able to get him to do that he seems to have no problems you're putting away toys and you're waving bye-bye, you are um, just modeling all kinds of fun things, you're blowing kisses as you put things away, he's totally into it, he's giving you five, he's doing all those things, you would know, okay, he can do level two. With a kid like that, I would immediately introduce some signs, but just for the sake of uh, kind of moving this along, let's say that you decide, well... He's mastered that. What should I do next? Then you look at the level three activity. So do you see how you could use this approach even diagnostically plus therapeutically in in a session? And then you get to this level three where he's doing nonverbal actions with his face and his mouth. And let's say he looks at you like he has no idea (laughs) what you want him to do. You could say, well, I'm going to stick here and I'm going to see what I can get and I'm going to, pull out some toys and see how we can get some of these actions with his little mouth in this session. Or you might say, hmm, not sure he really needs to know that. Let's kind of move on to level four. And I usually do level four and level five five together, the vocalizations in play and exclamatory words. And let's just say that you model several of those. You try to, let's say you bring out your, um, something that he likes. Let's say he likes superheroes. He really likes his Superman and his Batman and all of his X-Men characters. And let's say you're trying to make them do all kinds of noisy things. And he might just do a couple of those. And then you say, well, that went pretty good. Let me bump him up a little more. And you try to introduce some verbal routines with those superheroes. But again, you get nothing that's when you know gosh he really his breakdown point you know level two he did great didn't see anything from level three but level four kind of got a couple little things there let me see what i can do so that would be how you know man that that's where he's just starting to see some success this is where he's telling me he can just Sort of, kind of, do it. And so I would stay right there for a couple of weeks. I would really work on vocalizations in play. I would give his mom and dad tons and tons and tons of ideas that they could do with him. And if you don't have those ideas, you can get those from my book or kind of make them up on your own. <laughs> but you can certainly see how that would be beneficial for us just to bombard this child and really stimulate all kinds of vocal play. Um utterances to see what we could get there. So that that's how you use this chart therapeutically with a little guy. And, and, again, the reason that it worked so well for me is sometimes I need reminders. I'm not always fantastic at sitting there in the heat of the moment. I might come up with a couple of little vocal play things to do. I mean, now it's second nature. But when I was working on this 10 years ago or so, I might have not remembered all of the different things that I could do unless I had a little cheat sheet there. So that's how the chart came to be. And so, again, I don't really have a mastery level per um, level because that's not how it really works. You'll just have to use your clinical instinct there. And you you say to yourself, well, if he's only got two or three little examples per level, he's not really – owning that level yet he's not really mastering that kind of vocalization yet and that's how you know that's where he can be more successful now this is what happens a lot somebody will email me and they'll say well I've introduced three or four signs but we're not really having any luck moving on to words he can do those three or four signs and he's been he's been doing that for three or four months now and to me that nearly always is a problem with the adults not the child because you should have introduced more signs to that child and given him more options to use and not left him just kind of hanging on to those three or four. Now, sometimes somebody will say to me, well, I've worked really hard to, you know, kind of move on. And then I'll say, well, which signs have you done? And then they don't really have any concrete tools or they didn't work on it with the frequency that they should have meaning that they might have let's say they were using some really general signs like more and please and some of you may cringe and say I never use those signs and again we're not going to talk about this in-depthly today because I've done it a lot but talked about it a lot But signs like more and please, kids can overgeneralize those signs, but guys, they get so many opportunities for practice and for reinforcement. So that's why so many of our little guys hang on to those signs because their moms know to cue it all day. And that's why they get good at it because they get tons and tons of practice. Doesn't that make sense to you? And so then we'll try to introduce some other signs, but maybe it's let's just take a sign like um, candy. Mom really can't provide 75 opportunities for candy in one day, can she? But she can for a sign like more, please. So it's going to take a little more focus to get a kid to learn a sign for a specific, you know, or a specific thing like milk. How much milk can a kid drink in one day? You know, a lot if you're taking out the bottle every time he's going to have a suck, you know, and have him... Have him do the sign for that, which I do not recommend, but you get my point here. You're going to have to double down a little harder and practice a little more to give a kid like that who needs lots and lots and lots of repetition to learn a sign. That's why some kids can't move on because they don't have enough practice with the specific sign you're trying to cue. So you have to, again, double down and come up with mom, come up with mom ways that you're going to work on those signs all throughout every day you know you can't just work on something in speech therapy and expect a child to really be able to use it so sometimes that's what happens with signs and a therapist will say well I just need to move on because I'm not having any luck Well, that doesn't make any sense if you're talking about I'm going to move to a higher skill, to a skill that's more complex, to something that's even more difficult. So that's why the chart is helpful because it will really give you some additional ideas with especially our kids who aren't imitating single words. It'll give you a direction as to how to proceed and you can figure out um More closely, perhaps, than if you were just relying on um coming up with whatever you came up with um during your therapy activity, so that's how we should use the chart and how we should look at the chart, not necessarily as a cookbook, meaning we're going to do this and and work on it till we get this level of achievement with every single child before we would move on to the next skill. That is never, ever, ever how I intended this to be used. And I hope hope that you are not thinking that or I hope that you have enough clinical instinct to know that if you worked with kids with signs for several weeks or months and then all of a sudden they start giving you words, move to words. It's not really that hard, you know, when a kid makes that jump and you think, oh, my gosh, I'm hearing this today. Or let's say you were doing some social games, which would be, again, what we, the kinds of things that we would do after we've seen some early communicative gestures. Let's say that we've moved to some social games. And, again, that's back at level two. And as we're doing those social games, we realize the child is starting to pop out some words. Associated with those little routines. Let's say that you've been playing peekaboo, and all of a sudden he starts to try to say boo. Even you, even get an approximation like a bu- That tells you, oh my goodness, he's ready to move on. I've had kids who were doing a lot of social games back at level two, and I bumped them up to automatic speech and verbal routines which is a level six which comes right before words because i've heard a couple little things i've heard them say down when we're singing when we're playing ring around the rosies or i i'm doing a ready set and they try to say go i mean that's your clue gosh he's ready he's ready and let's say you you thought he was ready and you tried some of those things and you may not get more than one or two of those what would you do with a kid like that well you can stick to your guns with those verbal routines and just make sure that you are doing those little songs and rhymes and finger plays and, again, any kind of little original verbal routine that you would come up with, you would just have to really commit to, I'm going to do this frequently enough so that he learns what to say and is able to then pop out the word Or you may back it back down a level and you may say, well, what if I really commit to these exclamatory words? Or what if I really give mom all these examples of vocal play and I give her a list of five or six to work on in this next two weeks before I see them again. And then I see them again, has he made progress? You'll know. But again, the chart is not there for it to be step A, step B, step C. It's there to give you ideas. It's there to help stimulate options so that you don't stay with a certain level, particularly words, so that you don't work and work and work on words when a kid is nowhere near words yet. Again, it's just a way to help you think about what are the prerequisites here and where can I meet this kid so that he's at the just right level. Okay. I think we went a little bit beyond um what we were supposed to do for this show actually i hope i'm even still on the air i don't really see the countdown so i hope i've not been talking to myself so um thank you so much for tuning in if you have any feedback about the show let me know you can email me at laura at com. i would absolutely love to hear from you okay that's it have a great week bye-bye